Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Episode 71 of District of Conservation. This is your host, Gabriella Hoffman. In this week's installment of the podcast, I'm going to be publishing two episodes. This one will be a brief overview over what happened in the federal government and in some nearby states, some important updates I thought I should discuss, and an interview with Travis Thompson of Cast and Blast Florida podcast. First and foremost, I don't know if you guys know this, but March is International Women's Month, and while the connotation of this holiday does seem radical in terms of political terms. I think it's a good way to, especially for conservation, encourage women to take up fishing, hunting, and shooting sports. So that's what I'm going to do to use uh, this month, if I can, to encourage more women to, to take up those hobbies and interests. And you should join me in doing so, too. Here is what I have for you on the docket as to important news updates from... Washington, D.C., and elsewhere. One of the biggest news items from last week was the confirmation of Kate McGregor, who is now the Deputy Secretary of the Interior, basically the second-in-command after Department of Interior Secretary David Bernhardt, someone I've interviewed in the past uh, and played here on the podcast and other venues. But Kate McGregor has been working in the Interior department for a while, I think since 2017. And she has a pretty long track record of working in natural resources management and conservation. And she was confirmed on February 25th. So just a few days ago by a 58 to 38 vote. That's pretty bipartisan in these really hyper-partisan times to get a pretty sizable amount of Democrats joining in to, to vote for her. So that was really interesting to see. And she was previously Deputy Chief of Staff uh, as of May of last year. And Secretary Bernhardt said, and I quote, Kate will be a tremendous leader and serve the American people admirably. I am pleased that the Senate finally confirmed her. And here's what she said in response to her confirmation. And Ms. McGregor said, Quote, I am humbled and so grateful to President Trump, Secretary Bernhardt, and the Senate for this incredible opportunity. Now I look forward to getting back to work to fulfill the president's priorities to promote economic strength for all Americans and to advance the mission of DOI. And happy birthday, Dad. I guess that's something she had said, but end quote. Uh, but she has been, in, like I said, in the Department of Interior since January of 2017, since the Trump administration started their duties. She was previously Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for Land and Minerals Management and Deputy Chief of Staff. Like I had mentioned, she had worked also on Capitol Hill for about a decade, serving for two chairmen of the House Natural Resources Committee. She's a native of Pennsylvania. And many people, including 200 lawmakers and external stakeholder organizations all across conservation, had supported her nomination. And she had received endorsements from the governor of Wyoming, from Senator Kevin Kramer, from American Wind and Energy Association, 
Western Energy Alliance, various different uh, Indian communities, Native American communities, I should say, the Congressional Sportsman Foundation, National Tribal Energy Association, different, like I said, various tribes and hunting and fishing organizations. And that is from the press release from the Department of Interior, which I will include in the show notes for you to refer back to if you wanted to learn more about her confirmation. But that was certainly one of the most important news items you may have missed. And we wanted to discuss that here. A second item is an update on the American Wild Game and Livestock Protection Act, which is a House bill that's a companion to the Senate bill that was just introduced by Senator Mike Lee of Utah. And I previously discussed this and what it essentially does relates to gray wolf delisting and returning management to the states. Now, there's a lot of controversy attached to gray wolf management because they are apex predators. They are closely related to dogs. And I don't know anyone who doesn't have anything but admiration for wolves. I like wolves. I've heard them in Yellowstone uh, a time or two when I was there for a few days, about 16 years ago. They play a critical role in the ecosystem. But if you're a landowner, a farmer, rancher, and someone who has to manage cattle or livestock, you encounter a lot of hurdles to protecting your flock, especially with the growing number of gray wolves that have started to populate in regions like the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and also the Great Lakes region. And for more context, the reason why that the administration would like to delist the gray wolf and also why there's this bipartisan support uh, to delist the gray wolf with this American Wild Game and Livestock Protection Act is that gray wolves have now returned to healthy numbers as wildlife biologists have determined to about almost 6,000. And that's a threshold that they've determined wa- that warrants delisting. And it's really important to emphasize that delisting does not lead to decimation. And anytime a species has recovered, this is the natural process that should take place. And there's a problem, like I've mentioned here on the podcast, that only about 3% of listed threatened or endangered species fully recover from and are removed from the Endangered Species Act list protections. So the law needs to be reformed, modernized in a sense, and this kind of fits into that framework of delisting. But anytime a species is imperiled, uh, it can have those ESA protections awarded back to it. But in the case of the gray wolf, the numbers have grown to healthy numbers, and there needs to be a management system in place. And what this bill does as a companion bill to the Senate version, it's been introduced by ranking Republican Rob Bishop of Utah and also uh, Colin Peterson, a Democrat from Minnesota, in support of it. And what it would do would require the Department of Interior Secretary to delist the gray wolf from the ESA, basically removing protections, as I've just discussed, in the lower 48 states and enable states to create their own rules for management of gray wolf populations. So basically what delisting does, again, is when a species is delisted, usually management goes back to the states who are seen as the better arbiters of species management, especially apex predators like the gray wolf. It doesn't mean they're not working in concert with the federal government because if that were the case, they would not be receiving Pittman-Robertson funds, which help fund uh, species protection efforts, wildlife conservation efforts at the state level. So they are working in sync with the federal government whenever these delisting efforts happen, but they have a little more autonomy, but still, again, report back to the federal government. And 
you can learn more about this from the press release. And I've discussed the history behind Grey Wolf delisting efforts in the past at the resurgence. So I'll also include that for you. But again, this is a bipartisan bill to help delist the gray wolf, which again has been determined to be at healthy numbers now. It certainly will cause a lot of controversy, but in terms of management, I think it's a necessary measure for states to tackle rather than just to leave it in solely just the federal government hands or in the courts having this issue litigated again and again and again with no end in sight. And you see more carnage and more wolf human conflicts and also just the decimation of ungulate species like elk, mule deer, and other uh, hooved creatures. So this is an interesting update. I'm not sure where it's going to go because I don't think a House led by the Democrats will ever vote for this, although there are a few Democrats in support of this. But it's interesting to see that both versions of the bill have been introduced. This should have been done when Republicans had control. I do not know why this was not pushed. But uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not sure it's going to pass the House, but it's still important to discuss it. A third item and final item for the podcast this week is something really positive and interesting. It relates to Culpeper, Virginia, which is about an hour and a half away from where I live in Virginia, and the announcement that middle schools are going to start to offer free and optional hunter safety classes. And this is from the Star Exponent, and it reads like this. Here's an excerpt. Next fall, Culpeper County Public Schools will offer a free after-school class on hunting safety to middle school students, dusting off a decades-old custom. The county school board voted unanimously Monday to instruct staff to arrange with the Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries for a certified instructor to teach the optional course. It acted with the understanding that the class wouldn't impose a financial burden on the school division and the game department teacher will be responsible for registering students who choose to take the class. And I'm going to read more. Uh, And certain individuals said, and this is a person who is a school resource officer with the sheriff's office there. And they said, this was Marshall Keene, a school board member who said, quote, I think it's a great opportunity for kids to learn dot, 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 the safe handling of firearms. And that was Marshall Keene told the board colleagues and school staff, quote, live in a rural community where a million people own firearms. If early education programs save one life, that's enough. And it also said that uh, these programs used to be in effect in this county decades ago. And I have no doubt Virginia used to have hunter safety courses all the time, especially before people from Northeastern states moved to Virginia and sort of changed the politics here and the culture here. Uh, And it used to not be abnormal to see courses like this. I'm told from people who've lived here for most of their lives and have had their roots firmly planted here for decades But it's really good to see that it teaches gun safety. And while hunting, you typically do handle a firearm. Again, it's important to note that Second Amendment protections are not about hunting, but you do have to normally handle firearms when going hunting. But I think it's a good way to actually encourage true gun safety to get young kids aware of what hunting is, especially since the state is so rich in hunting history. And I will include that for you to refer to if you're interested in learning more. Thank you for listening to the podcast this week. 
If you are interested in following District of Conservation, please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are also on about 11 podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, where you can find every past episode and subscribe wherever podcasts are played. If you have Apple Podcasts, we ask you very kindly to subscribe, go back through some podcasts, leave a review, and help share the good word of District of Conservation. And like I had mentioned, we're going to be having a few interviews coming up. I will have an interview, like I said, with Travis Thompson of Cast and Blast Florida. And I'm also going to be sitting down with Hannah Downey of PERC, which is a free market environmental organization that does a lot with Endangered Species Act protections, private property rights, and finding market solutions to environmental problems. And we're going to be sitting down in D.C. this week uh, when I have meetings in the city. And that will be a really interesting perspective. I got to meet Hannah not too long ago. I think it was last summer. And I'm really excited to share her perspective. And I think it's good to highlight women during the month of March and and women, especially in conservation. So you guys are going to like that a lot. Thank you for listening. And I hope you have a great week.